I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound this is a good one all right welcome everybody to the full scale outdoors podcast and my guest today is one tom ray uh he's down in florida tarpon springs to be exact and uh, catch array charter. I assume with your last name, Tom, that's uh, that's your charter. It is my uh, <laughs> my wife. My wife came up with that name. We used to go to a, a sports bar that had a trivia game every week, and uh, she came up with that name for our team name for trivia. And then she uh, operated a dive business for a while. She was a scuba instructor, and so she had catch array charter or catch array diving, catch array scuba, and then. Um, so I just piggybacked off that good idea. Sweet. So that's how you keep your clients hooked up with good fish. She's just down there the whole time. She's got a big sack of giant snook and tarpon and redfish, and you yeah. just, she just hooks them right on for you. Yeah, yeah. We don't system. tell anybody. That's a, that's a secret. Don't let anybody know it. <laughs> trade, trade secret. That's right. Yeah. It was you know, it's, to, it's, it's interesting. We've been off. We've been offshore some reefs and. She, she and a buddy will be diving, and I'll, I'll always fish, and she can see my fishing line and the bait down there, and she's, she's actually witnessed uh, fish coming after my bait. So. Really? I feel like yeah. I would be really nervous. I don't want to, like, catch a hook. That would be... Yeah, I know. I'm always worried about that myself. A little nervous. Every now and then, even, every now and then she'll play with it. She'll see my line and jerk on it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I guess... Yeah, I guess if roles reverse, there's zero chance I don't do that to somebody. Like, I wouldn't hook on a fish, but I'd probably hook on a boot or two. That could be fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So what kind of a charter do you do you operate? Is this, like, a um, power boat? 90, yeah, I've got a 22-foot Ranger Bay boat uh, with a T-top. Um, 90% of what I do is, is inshore, so basically anywhere from zero to three miles out. We're blessed with uh, a number of barrier islands that are about three miles offshore um, that just hold a, a lot of fish. 
And um, as you probably know, the Gulf is very shallow. At three miles out, um, we're still in less than 10 feet of water. Yeah, that's crazy, actually. Like, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm well aware of it, but it's still like, well, Florida is just a super unique spot, right? Because you got that, the Atlantic, or especially down, you know, when you get down towards the Keys, like, hell, you can, you're right out in the deep water. You can still see, you know, town. You still see Miami, you know, Fort Lauderdale. You're yeah. like right there and you're catching billfish. But that is not the yeah. case if you hop to the other side, which is not No, that. my wife. She always would go to the East Coast to dive a lot because um, they go one mile out and they're in 100 feet of water. Right. You know, um, here I'll go 15 miles out and I'll be in maybe 40 feet. Yeah, and the water is, you know, substantially cleaner usually, I would think, on the East Coast than in the Gulf. I guess it's well, not... the Gulf, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty clear most yeah, of the I guess time. that's not entirely true. Just thinking of like the more like the. I don't want to call them backwaters, but like the, you know, the channel yeah, systems and stuff like that get a little, little more turbid. Yeah, when we go offshore, the um, um, every county has created because the Gulf's basically pretty flat, and um, every channel or uh, every county has a number of public reefs with public spots where they have dumped um, concrete culverts, old towboats. Um, barges uh there's a place down in st petersburg they have 13 army tanks that they submerged <laughs> in about 30 feet of water and um and, and and there's one here that's very unique called veterans reef it's about 15 miles from where i launch and they have a circle there must be 15 statues concrete they're pulled in concrete molds of uh, soldiers in different poses and stuff oh, wow. um and then uh, the divers, and they've got scrub brushes down there, and they encourage the divers to kind of keep them clean. And uh, but if you got some veterans, and this is a huge veteran community, that's a, it's it's a pretty cool place to take them. That would be an amazing dive. Actually, I've never scuba yeah. um, dove or scuba. I don't know what the correct vernacular is. I do like the snorkel. That's pretty fun. And uh, well, I, I speaking of that in in July. I've got 10 days, Pasco County, which is just the county north of me, we have a 10-day scallop season, and I do scalloping charters, and that's snorkeling in, wow. a, in anywhere from, from 4 to 10 feet of water. And it's a great family activity. Uh, we can get two five-gallon buckets of scallops. Are these, um, like, are these the big scallops or are these the little scallops? Oh, they're little scallops, like, like bay scallops. Okay. But, um, I call it Easter egg hunting underwater, and um, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a great family event. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm already getting booked up for some of those. Hey, walk us through that. Like, that sounds fun. Like, I, <laughs> man, I love going out and getting my own food, whether it's fishing, hunting, foraging, whatever the case might be. So, like, to, to be down there, like, where you can go, you can get crab, you can get shrimp, you can get fish, you can get lobster if the season's in, and then scallops, which isn't something that a lot of people don't really – really talk about you know you go to the restaurant and you order it but you don't really think like how did it get here you know and that's and you never right. really hear people i mean every once in a while you'll hear somebody kind of casually go yeah we were scalloping the other day and it's just i don't think most people know what that means so they just blow right past this so like walk us through a, a trip of scalloping okay um we have some very lush turtle grass in the uh they're basically you know you hear people talk about the flats fish in the flats um, I didn't know what that was before I came down, but almost the entire area that I fish is uh, very lush grass flats. 
with different kinds of grass, and, and turtle grass is the, is the big primary one. Um, the scallops um, kind of lay down in those uh, in those grass, and there's, there'll be some little sandy potholes. They just kind of lay on the bottom, and so uh, you don't have to be very experienced if you uh, if you can snorkel. Um, and I provide the snorkeling equipment with basically, you know, a mask, a, a mask, a tube, and uh, some fins. And you just, you can snorkel, like I said, we're in four to ten feet of water. Um, snorkel across the top, and you spot that. Once you, the inexperienced scalloper, once they get a couple and they know what they're looking for, it becomes a lot easier. Um, and then so you just snorkel across the top with your face down, and then you just dive down and grab it. And I give them all little mesh bags. And they put them in bags until they fill them up, and um, uh, like I said, kids can do it. It's 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 a lot of fun. The scallops, like they're one of the like they move, like they can swim, right? Like they, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes when you go to pick them up, they will swim. But they're still, I, I, are they very elusive, or you can just kind of go, yeah, get over here, not going anywhere, buddy. Most of them are just laying there. They're they're a filter feeder, obviously, and so um, they're just kind of laying there. Sometimes when you go to pick it up, you know, they swim by opening their clamshell um, and squeezing water out, and they swim backwards, and it's kind of wobbly, but, you know, they're not very fast at all. So That would be kind of neat. Was it, what's the limit on them? Or is uh, limit? Here, yeah, there is a limit. We, we can get two uh, five-gallon buckets of, of uh, scallops uh, in the shell. Two? So 10 gallons. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's that's a lot of, I feel like that's a lot. Like, and well, real, it is. The, are, are they relatively the easy to clean? Uh, there's a little bit of a trick to them, and I show people. You know, um, I know a, a couple of weeks ago you interviewed Jacinda, Jacinda Rose. Yes. And um, up where she lives, so Pasco County, where I live, this is just the third year that they've opened this up, and they just did a ten day season. North of here in Homosassa and Crystal River area. Is a very popular scalloping destination, and they have, I think their season's like three months. And, oh, wow. um, and then um, it's so busy up there at the docks, they have, they have, there's people there that'll clean them for you. But um, basically, the way I teach people to clean them is you, you pop the, the joint at the back where the uh, shell's connected, kind of like the little flat spot. Um, you just disconnect that with like a little knife, you pop it. But you don't pull it apart because you'll rip the scallop in half. The scallop is attached to the top and the bottom of, of the shell. So once you got the shell um, disjointed, if you will, then I just take a, an up, a spoon upside down and just scrape it across the top or the bottom of that scallop, and that'll release a half of the shell. And then you got the scallop and then all of its intestines sitting in the, uh, uh, in the, rem in the remainder shell. Um, and then you just pull off. The scallops are very identifiable. It's a white piece of meat, just like you see in a restaurant. But it's got a lot of its intestines and other guts are like around it. So you, and, and so you just kind of got to pull all that off. Um, there's actually, if you go on YouTube, uh, search scalloping and shot back. There's a guy that um, he has somebody who pops the top shell off, and then that scallop is so well attached to the shell that he just takes that shot back and he just woo, 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 and he just sucks all those all the nasty part out and he's got a clean scallop sitting oh, in wow. the shell. It's a pretty neat video. I'll have to try to remember to check that one out. That would be pretty cool. And so 
like where do you know where where do they get the big scouts from? Where do those come from? Do you know? I don't. Um, I would suspect West Coast or even Asia. I don't know. Oh, really? Sure. So they're not. That's, yeah. that's not like a local thing. You know, I guess I could probably uh, no. look that up, but you know, I'm not gonna. So, <laughs> so well, that's kind of cool. You're adding that. Is were you getting? We, we get it. We, yeah, we get enough that you can. Um, you know, you can add them to a salad. A lot of people. I just pan fry them in a little garlic butter and olive oil and then throw it in with some pasta. And, um, it's a pretty nice little meal. Oh, for sure. I mean, they're good. I mean, yeah, they're small, but the base scallops are just as good. And those you'll get those, like, uh, I think I've even had them deep fried before, which I don't know. That's not as good, but yeah, some of that in a pasta, a little garlic wine sauce or cream sauce. Mm, yeah. Okay, having it up. And then, uh, and then some people, some people, when they're when I told you, like the guy with the shop back, he'll leave that in the in the uh, shell. A lot of people just put it on the grill and drop a little butter and garlic in there, and uh, put put them on the grill. And then as you cook it, the scallop will release from the shell, and you've got a nice little sautéed uh, sautéed scallop and garlic and butter. You can eat right out of the shell. Oh, that's scallop on the on the half shell. That's uh. There you go. Interesting. I'll have to check that out too. I'll do some, do some research. I don't often think about getting down to Florida in the summertime because it's hot. Although it's it is plenty it is hot. Very- it's plenty hot in Minnesota right now. Holy smokes, it's been hot. Well, today's not as bad. I think it's eighty four degrees, and it was, but just a couple days ago it was like ninety, whatever. Oh, I know. Ninety too much. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I just don't. I'm not a heat guy. <laughs> That's why I stay in Minnesota. Everybody's like, "Yeah, but it gets twenty below zero. I'm like, "I'll just throw on another coat. I'm good." Gets gets hot. You can only get so naked, and it's still hot no matter what. But that yeah. would be something like that would be worth getting down there too. Um, I don't, do you have lobsters in your area? Or is that more down the Keys? That's more in the Keys and okay. in the East Coast. Yeah, when my wife is uh, dove on the East Coast, she'll bring back lobster. And um, the other big thing, and we've seen some here, but the other big thing in the East Coast and the Keys is lionfish, which, as you probably know, is an invasive yep. species. And uh, but man, are they good eating? They're That's so what good I've eating. heard. I've heard they're very good eating. And yeah, they have they'll have like lionfish tournaments. I've seen some pictures. It's like holy crap, that's a lot yeah. of fish. Yeah, <laughs> guys bring up you know they they have these tournaments because they want to eradicate them, and they're you know you'll see a boat with hundreds of them on there. Yeah, they're never gonna that. I feel like. You're not putting that genie back in the bottle. I mean, it's great that they're, you know, basically unregulated and you can take as many as you want guilt-free, but it seems like anything, I really don't care what the invasive species is, whether it's a plant, insect, fish, what have you, anywhere in the country, it seems like once they're a problem, they're always there. Like, it's just, yeah, it's just I- a new reality. Yeah, when I lived in southern Indiana, and I fished on FLW for a while, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Kentucky Lake and Lake Barkley has a terrible problem with the Asian carp. And they're just, you know, it's just terrible because I think they spawn like six times a year. They eat a, they eat a lot of bluegill uh, eggs when the bluegill nest. Sure. Um, and you've seen the videos, you know, you run your boat. and you know, Oh, the flying obviously. carp, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that's, you know, you that Kentucky Lake's a big recreational lake and water skiers getting hit by them and stuff. It's, it's, it's nasty. Yeah, it could be bad. And they're, and they're just there now. Like, I, I just don't know how they're going to, it seems like every effort, again, like I don't, 
you can go all the way back to carp. Like they literally have thrown their hands up with carp. I think in most like regular, you know, European carp, I think most places have now now even consider them naturalized. Like they don't even consider them invasives anymore, even though they're not really regulated. Like there's no season, there's no limit, there's whatever, but they're not actively like trying to get rid of them. I just don't think yeah. you can. You know, we got up here as zebra mussels have gotten into a bunch of lakes and you know, whether it's the spiny water flea exactly. or whatever the thing, gobies in the, you know, in the Great Lakes, whatever the thing is, and, and as much money as they spend on, you know, AIS and they got the weed cops at every boat ramp now and checking your trailer coming in, coming out, and everybody's draining their live wells and everybody's doing the thing they're supposed to do. They continue to spread and they never get rid of them. So if, I, if you want to see another amazing YouTube video, if you uh, go on YouTube, search Kentucky Lake Asian, Asian Carp. Just put those four words in. There's a, um, you know how they shock the fish uh, to do the assessment. They're at the, I think it's at the dam at Lake Barkley, and they shock it. There shows this boat. The water's calm. They shock it in one little area. There's got to be ten thousand Asian carp. Oh my carp god! That, you know, that's just yeah, that's you're not, crazy. You're not, you're not going to get rid of it. My understanding is the way that happened is farmers or people that live in the country was putting Asian carp in their lakes because they're grass eaters. And then when you get some of the heavy flooding, it flooded out of the lake and got into the rivers and then eventually got into the Tennessee River and, and then Lake Barkley and Lake Kentucky, or Kentucky Lake and so forth. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure there's somebody out there that actually knows the exact history of it, and I've heard different variations of it but there's also you know they got the flying carp which are different from like the grass carp those are you got silver yeah, carp yeah, they, you know, they're all different yeah. and there's i think that see and i'm gonna this is a story of a story so who you know I, this is probably wrong too but what i heard was for the flying carp is that that was a like a commercial fish production thing and then yeah it flooded you know they had a big flood and all their stuff got out but like with the grass carp uh, I know on the East Coast, like in the Carolinas, all the waterways down there, the freshwater and the reservoirs, they're all, like, owned and operated by the power company. Um, and they put them in there on purpose because, like you said, they're, you know, they're grass feeders. They keep the weeds down. The weeds are a huge problem with yeah. the intake turbines and everything like that. So, like, they put them in there on purpose, which just, like, there's such a problem everywhere else. And over there, they're like, oh, yeah, we dumped those in there. It's like, what? Yep. Well, yeah. I, so are they good? Are they bad? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. But like the lionfish thing, you know, bringing it back down to Florida. Yeah, the how are you going to eradicate them? I mean, yeah, it's not, it's, um, not, actually, it's not even like a lake. Like what you know, if a lake, if it didn't have a river coming in or out of it, you know, you could conceivably just hit the reset button, right? You could poison the whole thing out, game fish included, and then just restock it, and you'd be back to square one. Well, you can't do that with the ocean. You know, like they're just they're just there. Like, how are you going to yeah. get rid of that? Um, there's some new evidence here that, you know, like I said, we have um, we have a number of these artificial reefs that have been created. And pretty much every reef here has at least one dominant uh, Goliath grouper. My wife can attest to that. Um, and there's some recent evidence that the Goliath grouper are eating lionfish now. So I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, those things are they eat whatever the hell they want. They do. <laughs> those, things, those things are huge. Uh, still on my bucket list for sure. A, a Goliath and a, and a tarpon. I gotta check those off the list yet. Uh, the funny story about that 
is when I was down in the Keys, I don't even know how many years ago this was, we went to Isla Morada, my brother and his family, and, and we stayed a week. He trailered his boat down from Charleston, actually. It was a long car ride, but it was nice. We had a boat to use the whole time we were there and, you know, all the rods and reels and stuff. But we went down there with that. That was kind of our goal, Tarpon and Goliath. And we are down there for a whole week and never really fished for either of them. <laughs> <laughs> hard to catch them if yeah. you don't fish for them so yeah. it was you know we got there's just so much to do on there it's like we got distracted by everything else we'd get a good day where we can run out and then we wanted to catch yellowtail and try you know try the reefs and all so my god we just yeah we just got we got sidetracked but that that definitely needs to happen it doesn't look like it's too difficult to hook one a goliath i'm talking but it definitely looks difficult to land one yeah yeah, actually, the law is you can't take them out of the water. Right. So uh, a lot of the videos you'll see here is people, once they get them up to the boat, people will dive in the water to get their picture with them. Um, obviously, you're talking steel leaders and massive hooks. And yeah. um, again, for your for your listeners, for your <laughs> video entertainment, Google uh, Goliath groupers and sharks because there's a number of videos of people that have caught some sharks and maybe a four-foot shark. And they get it up to the boat, and a massive Goliath group will come up in one bite and take that thing down. Yeah, I've seen I've seen a, a video <laughs> with that. It's like yeah, like a little four foot shark, and it's right at the surface, right at the boat, and that thing just gets rolled on like a bass on a frog. It's yeah, just it like, does. Oh my god! It's just there's <laughs> always a bigger fish, man. That's you know, see, I would like to be that guy, like to get, jump in and take that picture because those pictures are just so cool. But I'm also like, there's sharks. Is there- there's sharks yeah, in there. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, and, and not that I have an innate fear of sharks because I don't, but I've seen too many videos of, you know, tarpon getting attacked by sharks or any, you know, any fish getting attacked by sharks and all that well, action of know, reeling in the, a fish brings them in. It's like, do I really yeah, want to hop that, in? That, that, I think that action of a injured fish or a fish that's struggling because it's on the line is the, is the dinner, dinner bell for the sharks. My wife has several videos of her diving with sharks swimming two or three feet. Now I'm talking like six, eight, ten footers. And, um, uh, you know, her line is they're not interested in me. You know, you right. get this stupid people. You get the people that want to poke them and stuff, but I don't think they're, they're too interested in you. I have a, I have a friend here, uh, that he does wade guiding, um, in this area. He's been doing it for about 30 years. And, um, I asked him if he weighed fishes that night, and he said he used to when he was a younger man until one night we have a causeway in Dunedin, and he says it was one of those nights, you know, the water was flat, it was dead quiet, and he's in waist high and deep, and he's, he's weighed fishing, and which is a big thing down here. And um, he feels a little bump on his rear end, oh, no. and it was, it was about a six-foot uh, six bull shark come in just to, just to see what he was. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing, too. Like, most of your, like, shark attacks, especially with bull sharks, you know, maybe not so much down there because the water's cleaner, but, like, in the Carolinas, people like, you know, they like to be in the water and they get on these in the beaches, and it's really turbid down there. Like, you can't see shit. So they, you know, these sharks come up, and you're standing waist deep, knee deep in water, even though there's a six-foot bull shark swimming around there right there, or bigger. And, uh, and yeah. you have no idea. Yeah. Well, yeah. And- I, I – I saw Shark Week. I watched Shark Week when it's on, and there was a line I'll never forget. The guy says, "If you've been 
more than knee deep in the ocean, you've had a shark encounter. You just didn't know it. That's right. I, and I, I 100% believe that, you know, and it's like sharks will taste test things. And yeah, they don't yeah, want. They don't, they're not trying to eat you. They bite you once, and they're like, "Oh, gross! I'm out of here." But it, it, the problem is that one quick bite, just your calf is gone. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't really care that he didn't mean to hurt me. He, he's still, he still right. did. Like, yeah, I'm gonna need before I hop in that water. I'm gonna have to make sure the coast is completely clear of of a shark lurking to take a chunk out of that Goliath. But I would like that picture. It would be very be very cool. Honestly, I wouldn't mind doing that with like a giant, you know, if you get a big enough tarpon, I don't know how much I want to bring that big giant fish in the in the boat too, you know. That's a lot of stress on that big of a fish. I know a lot of people do it, yeah. but well, there well, there again, there's a size limit. I I can't recite it off the top of my head, but I think it's 40 inches, 48 inches over that you're not allowed to take them out of the water. So most of the most of the pictures you'll see is a captain will hold the tarpon by the mouth kind of on the gunwale of the boat and you get a picture. Sure, the um, guy like leans they, over and. Yeah, but you can't take it out of the water. Yeah, that yeah, but and tarpon. that's another thing. You know, we, we're we're in our tar, in our tarpon migration right now, and um, uh, the th- the hammerheads follow the tarpon. Yeah, and, and you've seen those videos because when you hook a tarpon, <laughs> when you hook a tarpon, uh, pretty much the rest of that pod will take off, and then that you're fighting that tarpon, and really the only way you get them into the boat is by wearing them out. Um, until you know where he's basically floating, and then you get him in. But there's so much struggling going on, and again, there's a number of videos where they're right by the boat and a hammerhead, you know, or somebody's fought a tarpon for an hour, you know, and and they're about ready to get the picture. It's, it's within 30 yards of the boat, and all of a sudden you just see this big blood boil, oh. you know. Yeah, it's got to be heart wrenching. I mean, it's kind of cool to see, but yet it's like, ugh. you know, as a catch and release fisherman, you're just like, oh man, just killed that fish, you know, and that. It sucks, but I mean, I guess it's just a part of the game. Circle of life. Yeah, it's part Circle of the of game. Life. Of course, me, I'd like to, you know, let's throw a chunk of meat out there, and let's. I, I'm just down to hook into that giant hammerhead as I am anything else. Now those things right. are protected pretty. Can you fish for those intentionally? I suppose you can. I know in the Keys they fish for them under the bridge. Okay. Under the bridge, they'll go out about a big hunk of meat. It'd kind of be hard to. It'd be kind of hard to regulate, right? You could just a shark rig, well, like, oh, I'm yeah. fishing. For, I'm fishing for bulls. I'm not fishing for hammerheads. You know, like how would you? There's, yeah, there's no, no, you can. You, could you that. never, you know, you never know what you're going to catch. And that was that was one of the big awakenings when I moved here, because I was a bass angler, and um, I, you know, my intention was I lived really close to Lake Tarpon. I didn't know anything about saltwater fishing. And I thought I'd fish Lake Tarpon. I'd be a bass. And I took my boat out to the Gulf one time, and I went, okay, first of all, my bass boat was not going to make it in salt water, and it's not going to make it in the <laughs> in the waves here. Um, so it wasn't too long before I bought my first saltwater boat. But um, I've had days, Dale, where my clients, it's, Rachel was one of them, where we catch 13, 15 different species. And that's incredible for people. Yeah, that's awesome. I, that, I honestly, I love that. That's like one of my favorite things about saltwater fishing. Well, Rachel actually got um, a houndfish, which I actually had to ask another captain. It's the first time anybody had caught one on my boat. Um, the equivalent for your freshwater listeners would be like a big gar, really long nose with very sharp teeth. Um, and Rachel got one that was, I think that thing was 38 to 40 inches long. Dude, that's huge. So they look like a needlefish, right? 
They do. They're they're okay. they're a, they are they're in the needlefish family. There yeah. it is. Yeah, those things are huge. I just yeah. pulled, I just pulled pictures of them up on. Dude, I want to catch one. I'm in. Yeah, that's all. That's pretty. That's pretty dope. That's very awesome. Yeah, we see lots of needlefish when we're down uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Dude, that thing is amazing. But yeah, that like my brother doesn't quite get it. Like I'll, we'll be out there you know, anchored up for big bull reds or sharks or whatever and or even go out to the near shore reefs when we can and I'll be while we got the big baits out, I'll grab a smaller rod and a tiny jig, a little bit of cut bait, and I'm down there catching little black sea bass or whatever bites. Like I honestly don't care. Catch up bring up a toadfish. I'm like, oh cool. <laughs> toadfish. Yeah. Check that species right. off the list. You know, <laughs> all yeah. sorts of grunts and uh, you know, just um, Yeah, I, I had a I had a family from Iowa last year. And um, we got on some nice reds, you know, some 28-inch, 30-inch reds, and the kids were having a blast. And then um, he hooked up, he hooked onto a fairly large stingray. <clears throat> but I'll never forget, he looks over at his dad, and he says, boy, this sure beats catching bluegills back home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll ruin you. Although, it never does for me. Like, I still, I still like, you, you know, you downsize your tackle, right? You just... You, I still like catching bluegills. I still like catching little tiny trout. I still, I get excited about all of it. As long as I'm fishing yeah. and, I, and I'm fighting and like I say, as long as you're not overpowered, you know, you're not catching a, a bluegill on a musky rod. You're, it's, it's still fun, you know, getting all. Yeah. I think, I think most, I think most people are surprised, you know, for inshore fishing. So typically I target spotted sea trout, snook, redfish are the three primary game fish here. And I think people are surprised because I run um, like maybe a 3,000-size spinning reel with 10-pound braid and a 20-pound leader. Um, we use like two-watt circle hooks. And I think most people that aren't experienced in saltwater fishing think they're going deep-sea fishing or they're catching monsters. And they're, I think they're surprised by the lightweight tackle. But then when you get a good fish on that, um, you know, a medium rod of, of that size, it's a fun it's a fun day. Oh, for sure. And, I mean, there's other ones like – um, jacks. I love catching jacks. Oh, dude. like there's yeah. so much, and I don't know why they get such a bad like. Well, you no, know, people not, down there hate them. I guess because you just you don't eat them or something. I don't know, but man, do they? Oh, they're a blast to catch. Oh, you know, they're fight. built like a, they're built like a tuna. Um, so they got a very strong swim. People love catching them. They're just not good eating, which is really. Um, I caught a fairly large one when i first came down here and i brought him home i was so excited i filleted him and cooked him up and it was terrible some people will make fish spread with them but what's amazing is you know they're they're in the family with permits and pompanos which people love to eat yeah people and, love pompano yeah i guess i haven't really heard of anybody eating a permit they've similar to i know they're similar looking to a um a pompano but never really heard yeah, of anybody yeah. eating one yeah 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 well, it's similar to uh, like the bonita and false albacore. You know, they look so similar, but exactly bonita, oh, gross. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's a way you can make them taste good. I like well, a dumbass one time tried to do uh, sashimi on the boat, and like this isn't even an exaggeration. <laughs> Tom, this isn't even an exaggeration. The moment my tongue touched that flesh. I knew I messed up. 
<laughs> and, yeah. I, and I, it took forever to get that taste. I didn't even chew it. Like I, t- I was like, oh my god, that's t-. like it was the worst fishy taste you could possibly think of. And I, I'm always like, why? Why? Why are the? How is it so different? They eat the same shit as you know a black I fin know. does. Like how? Yeah. What's going on no, biologically that is creating this thing to taste like crap and the yellow one to be? Highly delectable. Right. Like, it doesn't even make sense. Yeah. yeah. You, we catch a bonita here, then all the fishermen go, we've got bait. Because they're, it's great bait to yes. cut up. Yep. Because it's, it's very oily, very stinky, um, great shark bait, you know, great redfish bait. Anything where you're going to soak some cut bait on the bottom. Same way with ladyfish. Ladyfish, same way. It's a terrible fish to eat, but it's a really good bait uh, oh. to cut up and use for cut bait. I don't know if Spanish mackerel is any good to eat, but when we catch those, those are great bait too. Chop them things up. Yeah, and and they're they're okay to eat. I um again, a lot of people with mackerel, both king mackerel and Spanish, they'll make uh, fish spread is a big deal down here. Right. Yeah. Um. So so they'll they'll use mackerel for that. Yeah, I mean they're super fun to catch, but in the same line of thinking, like with the bonita and the jacks, it's like there's so much fun to catch. <laughs> like I remember we're. I remember, like, it just happened. I was down in uh, South Carolina. I was in Charleston, and I was asking, you know, we go down to the slips and all the charter boats are there. I'm like, hey, are the Bonita in yet? And he's, he looks at me like I was speaking a, <laughs> a foreign language. He's like, you want to catch them? I'm like, yeah, dude. They're, <laughs> they're, like, they're so fun. Like, you see right. birds diving and baits breaking. You go over there and you cast a spoon out there when those things hit and you and you set the hook all you do is hold on and listen to that lion scream like who doesn't want to do that i don't understand i don't understand where this like disdain for them comes from i'm like hey man more for me i guess I'm, i don't have to fight for spots it's not like i'm going to be crowded chasing schools of bonita and i'm super happy we got into them last october out in charleston it was so much fun like so sure much fun yeah. oh my god yeah, absolutely and I was like, I, we're trying to get out to the 60, which is like the most well-known artificial reef out there. And it's like, we just get, I mean, now it's like we watch, you know, as soon as we see bait breaking or whatever, it's like, whoop, we might not make it out to 60 because we're just going to keep catching these bonitas. It's so much fun. Yeah. No, don't get me wrong. I like to eat fish too. Like the, I think that same trip we went out there and we caught some cobia, which are delicious and you know, you get some other amberjacks and stuff like that, which tastes fine in their own right. But um, I don't know. I don't. I'll catch just about anything, and be pretty happy about it. But those yep. jacks, I, I wouldn't mind. Like I would go down there and be like, "Let's go get some jacks." You know that they're willing biters. They'll take a topwater bait. Like what? What's not to like about them? I mean, well, and they they roam in schools, and so when you see them. And a lot of times, I actually got two on the top water. I got two jacks on the um, same bait. <laughs> on the same bait, yeah. Um, because I, and usually when you're reeling one in, you'll see three or four following in all the way to the boat. It's just I throw something else out there, right? And um, um, yeah, but I had a big top water and um, hooked one in the on the front hook and another one on the back hook. That's so much fun. That's that's yeah. Who doesn't like that? That's just so much fun. Um, you know, the other fish I haven't really, I mean, I've caught them. I don't really count it because I only caught little ones, but is, uh, just the, um, black drum, big, ugly ass yeah. dinosaur things. Like yeah. if you can catch a giant one, you know, then 
Yeah. yeah, it's like reeling a brick up. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is it just dead weight? Do they not go on runs like the redfish do? Right, yeah, yeah. Because I've got a few of those big bull reds, you know, 40-inch plus, and when, those, when you set the hook on those things, same thing. They just they peel drag right out of the gate, and you're like, holy smokes. Yeah, they do. What do I have on? I mean, there's, there's a couple times I'm just, like, looking down at my reel going, is this thing going to stop? Like, did I hook a dolphin? Yeah. What's going on here? Like, <laughs> I can't do anything yeah, with this I, giant thing. I had, I had a client that we, we got into school at Jackson, and he got a large one. And, you know, we were power, power pulled down by one of the islands. I mean, that he stripped that reel or spooled that reel in a heartbeat work to the point I've got to pull the power poles up, pull everybody else reel up, and we got to kind of chase it down. Right. the same way when we get into a large stingray, it's like, or a shark. we we got to chase it down a little bit. So. Do you get many people down there that want to like go for sharks specifically? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and most of the sharks we get here are not very big. We get bonnet, you know, maybe two foot head, two foot bonnet heads is probably the primarily uh, the ones here. We get some Atlantic sharp nose. Um, most of the feet, most of the ones here, are two, you know, between two and three feet, I'd say. Um, well, I assume there's bull sharks around. Um, they're but they're probably I've only seen one really uh, yeah in in shallow water now my wife has okay, seen sure. them on the reefs and stuff, but yeah in 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 water less than ten feet you'll you'll see one or two we had a hammerhead uh that was hanging around here uh, during the tarpon migration season a couple of years ago um and everybody kind of knew where he was but um yeah we don't see that many big sharks. We did go out for big sharks when we were down in the Keys on the Gulf side when we were in Isla Morada, and it was, um, we hooked a couple of them, and uh, we found out we weren't making our leaders long enough because I think the, because the water actually was so shallow, we were fishing the flats out there and hooked a pretty big, I don't know, either bull or lemon, I don't know, I couldn't tell the difference, we never really got it close enough, but it was a, it was a pretty big shark, but it just like the, um, you know, the fluorocarbon got I think I think just wore off rubbing against their their rough skin, you know. And then like, l- yeah, later we like, found yeah. out, it's like, well, yeah, you need a, you need a longer steel leader, so that doesn't happen. It's like, oh, that makes sense, especially in shallow water because it, they're, they they don't they can only run away from you. They can't like dive down deep. So any exactly. any direction change, that line's just like rubbing over their back. And for those yep. that have never caught a shark, it's their skin's basically sandpaper. So that was it was cool to hook up with them. And, it was fun because we didn't really know what we were doing, right? We're like, I think you can just go out anywhere. and You know, we tried to be smart about it, but, like, you know, look at satellite images and see where, like, the current might run off as the tide's running out and stuff like that and just put out some chum, and next thing you know, we hook up with a shark. So it, it yep. is yep. pretty easy. <laughs> the, the landing part was difficult, but... That's yeah. a little bit different. Yeah. yeah, that's a little bit different, but that is a ton of fun. How long have you been doing the guiding thing down there? Like, when did um, you when did, did you move and switch from bass to saltwater? I moved to Florida in 2016, and um, like I said, my intention was just to bass fish here. I've been down to Okeechobee a couple times and lived by Lake Tarpon, and like I said, I didn't know anything about saltwater. And then once I went out once and and got into a red and snook, I thought this is pretty cool. Um, and so I got my bass bar, I got my saltwater boat. And uh, kind of the way I got into guiding, I have, a, I have a friend here. He had lost his son in Afghanistan, and he is the minister to Gold Star Families here. 
and um, I, I'd been introduced to him, and he called me one day and asked me if I would uh, do a veterans, would I donate some time for a veterans uh, fishing trip? I said, sure. And um, took, took a couple guys out, and we didn't do really good. It was a beautiful day, but we didn't do very well. Um, and at the end of the day, I told the guy, I said, you know, I wish I knew it a little bit better here, and I, but uh, thanks for coming out. And I had this veteran, and he was a Vietnam veteran. He was about my age, and um, he looked at me, and he, he says, this is the first time I've been out of my house in three years. Oh, wow. So it was a good day. And um, uh, Tampa is, a, as I said, with Fort McDill and just the retirement, it's a huge veterans community. So there's three veterans groups that I'm associated with now that um, I do tournaments with. And um, we had one in April. We took, uh, I think we had 40 captains and took, I think 120 veterans out at no cost to them. And um, um, it's just a great time. And what a great way to honor the guys that have, that have served our country. A lot of them, you know, you see so many guys with artificial limbs and stuff, and they just have a great time. And so I'm, I've been blessed to uh, get involved with those groups and take them out. And what I found out was that, you know, I was doing that as I wasn't a captain. And so I had to, so the, I had to tell the, or, the tournament organizers to uh, give me guys that had their own fishing license because in the way Florida is, when you get your captain's license, I can have up to four people fish under my license. Sure. So, so I ended up, I said, well, you know what, I'll, I'll go do that. And so I, I got my captain's license. And, um, and then the other group I got involved with, there's two groups here that take families that are battling uh, pediatric cancer for kids with cancer. I've taken families that have lost a kid. I've taken families where a, a, a small child has recovered. I've taken families that they're actively fighting cancer. Um, and, you know, again, you take a family that, you know, their whole life has been turned upside down and just the time in the hospital and all that, and they don't care what they catch. You take them out and they get a little puffer fish or they get a small shark. Oh, the, you know, it just lights their face up, and it's just an absolute joy. And that's, that's kind of how that got me into getting my captain's license. And then once I had that, uh, my first year here, I hired four guides and I took them out because I did, like I said, I didn't know saltwater. I didn't know tides. And, um, you know, I asked him, I said, listen, I want to learn. Um, I don't care if we fish today. And <clears throat> excuse me. So, you know, a number of guys took me out, taught me how to throw a cast net to get bait. We talked about boat positioning uh, around the islands um, uh, and around the tides and, um, so I did that learning curve a little bit. And um, so from there, I just opened up. This is my post-retirement job. So it's not my full-time income job. So I can afford to do the things with the cancer groups and the veterans groups. And, right. Um, and then do a little guiding on the side and kind of helps pay for the boat. And, you know, somebody asked me the other day and I, about how much I fish. And, you know, it, it dawned on me. I've kind of turned in. I get more joy watching other people fish. Right. Than I do myself. It's kind of a change and that's what makes a great guide i mean i do some guiding here in minnesota and it's the same thing i mean i think i'm just in that even before i became a guide it was you know i mean i still fish some tournaments and stuff like that so obviously i fish and i will still fish for fun but i get way more enjoy enjoyment taking other people out and watching them yeah catch, what and watching them catch fish and to the point like if i don't have uh, a guy trip land and none of my buddies are around and it's like it's just me it's just going to be me i found it actually like 
I kind of have to like pump myself up and talk myself into getting motivated to actually just go fishing. Cause just going fishing Absolutely. by myself is like, eh, nah, I mean, I've, yeah. I've, I've caught, I'm, I'm, I've I'm, caught I'm, fish, you know, I'm like, it's, I mean, eh. now the difference is when I go down somewhere like Florida where I have a whole wealth of things I haven't caught and you know, new challenges, if I have a new challenge, then I'm all in, you know, and I'm a serial DIY guy. So I'm always like, try to, I just, I don't know. I just have to do things the hard way. It's just dumb. <laughs> like yeah. it's so better off to just hire a guide myself, go out there, check it off the list and be done. But it's like, no, no, I want to go out and I want to try to figure this out. And I want to find these fish and catch these fish. And it's like, Oh God, I'm such an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> but the, that's... The, uh, the first cancer group I got involved with, it's a really interesting story. Um, the, the, the organization is called angling for relief. And uh, I would encourage your listeners to look that up. It got started by a young man here in Tampa. His name is Jake Klopenstein. And uh, Jake, I'm, I'm thinking he was probably around sixth grade or seventh grade. And he had a, had a friend that wasn't coming to school a lot. And he kept asking his mom why. Well, the kid was battling cancer and ended up losing his battle. And Jake said, you know, we need to do something for these kids. So Jake started his own charity. He got his uh, 501c3 or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And he put together what he calls dry fishing kits, which is a little tackle box with some soft plastic plugs with no hooks. Um, he gets like the uh, SpongeBob poles or the Barbie poles. <laughs> sure. and, he would, and he would go up into the uh, children's hospital where they were getting chemo. And while they're getting chemo, he had a bucket with targets, and he was teaching these kids how to cast. Oh, that's great. And then um, then they once or twice a year, they would do big outings for their families that have been impacted. And they would go to, the, like, the Sunshine Sunshine Skyway Bridge or one of the local parks, Shorefish. And I got involved doing that. And, again, just the joy of being around those families and kind of you get that jerk your chain where you go, how blessed I was that I had healthy kids and didn't have to go through this. Um and then COVID hit, and um, so you couldn't do these big group outings. And Jake's mom called me one day, and her name is Tony, and she said, listen, we've got funds. Um, how would you like to take a family out because we can't do the group outings anymore? And I said, absolutely. And she said, well, what do you charge me? And I said, I didn't know how to answer that. I'm, I'm going to charge you to take a family right. that is fighting pediatric cancer. And I, so I told her a dollar, and she laughed at me. Um, so we, we, we came to, came together on a rate, and quite honestly, I donate about half of it back. I cover my expenses. Mm -hmm. But the first one, I, first one I took out, this family had lost the kid. This is a couple of years ago. This family had lost the younger son to cancer. I'm going to say he was about five, um, and they had an older son. And, and uh, Tony did some great counseling with me. Even when I take families that you have, you know, multiple kids, the kid with the cancer is getting all the attention. And so she said, make sure you pay attention to the other, the brother, brothers and sisters, you know, right. Make sure you do that. That's a really good. But advice, anyway, actually. I, I, I took this uh, mom, dad and the surviving child out. They had lost their son in January and this was in May. And um, the mother was on fire. She was catching fish almost every cast. She was having a blast. I was taking little videos and snapshots and, I was sending them back to Tony, and she I'll never forget it. And I'm almost tearing up telling you about it because she told me that's the first time I've seen her smile since January. Wow. 
and I went, put me in. You know, yeah. if I can do this, I've, yeah. I've, I've got another one kind of. So I've been working with them for two years now. Angling for Relief, I think it's .org. Um, they're on Facebook. They do a, They just do a, a wonderful, wonderful job. And then there's a, they're associated with another group in, here in Tampa called One Voice Foundation, the number one voice foundation. Do the same thing. We take these families out. And, boy, what a rewarding experience it is. Angling for Relief. I'm looking it up right now. There it is. I'll give them a like. Yeah, so we do um, here in Minnesota um, my tournament league, ice fishing tournament league, Minnesota made. We, uh, we've kind of partnered up with Hometown Heroes Outdoors, which is a veteran organization. And, like, the the event we look forward to the most during our tournament season isn't any one of our tournament dates. We, we take a day and we set up a one-day derby for um, – teams of veterans so each you know so i'm not out scouting that day or pre-fishing and we have a tournament the very next day and i and a bunch of other members of minnesota made we just we donate our time and we we kind of coach or you know we guide this team uh, and they have their own little competition and it's great last year was our second annual and it's just it's growing bigger and bigger and bigger companies are donating great prizes um yeah so i want to give yep. them you know all the credit in the world for really really stepping up and uh it is it's just so it's humbling and so rewarding you know you you get to know these guys and they tell you their story and you know some are injured you know from wartime and it's just it's it's just so humbling and and, and at is, the end yeah. of the day they thank you you know or oh, someone will give yeah. you a gift and you're the i remember the first year we did it and they like were profusely thanking me, and I I felt so weird because I'm like, no, I, no, thank, no, thank you. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I'm not doing this for thank. Like this is me giving to you. Like you're, I no, like what this is seems so weird. Why are you thanking me? <laughs> so I, was, and, I felt really and, weird. Know, that, and you know, Dale, that's why I'm so proud of the fishing community here and uh, the, the captains that I've got to know. Um, the one in April we did with veterans, it was called, it's called on the water with veterans. I think the first year, I think this was the third year. I think the first year we took 20 veterans out and we took 140 out this year. <clears throat> and there's another group called reeling freedom. There's another group called vet catch. And I worked with all three of those I guys. Wonder, I wonder if there's and a hometown heroes in, um, uh, in Florida. I've heard of it. Yeah, there probably is. I'm gonna look. Let's see here, because they're not in every state, but they're they're growing like really fast. Hometown uh, Heroes Outdoors, Florida. Let's see if. So while you're looking for that, you know when I when I hook up for these groups, I I discount the charters. I basically cover my expenses. I might make a little bit of money, um, but you know I had a, I had a uh, uh, a Vietnam fighter pilot on my boat a couple of weeks ago, and this guy could tell amazing stories. He did these very fast, like where he's flying 50 feet above the surface, these bombing runs in, in North Vietnam, where he would drop bombs and then shoot up straight in the air. And you, I could sit for hours and listen to those guys. Oh, yeah, for sure. And part of that is a way to honor. My, my dad flew a B-17 in, in World War II and, um, so I kind of look at that's the way that I honor him and, you know, the World War II vets. And it's just, it's, it's such a great community. But 
I really give a shout to all the captains. It's kind of the same group where you go to these different things and, you know, it's the same 15, 20, 25 captains that do this. We all volunteer, you know, it's all at our, on our dime. We volunteer our time, our boats. But like you said, we get people that donate food, people that donate ice, people that donate bait. And um, they're fun events. It's so They're so great. Like, I look forward to it every year. And then even similarly to what you're doing, we uh, we just started a, um, a nonprofit, uh, Future Anglers of Minnesota. So we've been doing some casting clinics this year. We got um, a charter trip going out. And uh, they're just, yeah, they're just free clinics that we put on for whoever wants to show up. And same thing, we're yeah, getting all sorts of sponsors that are really, you know, showing up in a big way, and it's great. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it is. We're it's in that stage of, of wanting to give back, you know. Well, and, you know, the other thing is, and this is the sign of the times we live, if you can get a kid out with a fishing pole and get him off of his Xbox or whatever, um, hopefully they, they'll do that for life. You know? Oh, there's <laughs> they, for sure. It's easy, you know. I know get them hooked is you know kind of cliche or whatever. But the last casting clinic that we had was our first one. Um, you know, we just had a handful of kids. It wasn't you know very many. It was our first one, and this girl came out. I think Kelsey was her name. I think so. Sorry if I'm getting that wrong. But she was just a casting monster like she wanted to learn like I had bait casters out there when I was teaching them how to throw a bait caster and you wow. know, so we we cast a little bit and then we went and fished off a pier came in for lunch you know had you know cooked up some hot dogs or whatever and then just assumed everybody's going to want to go back down and continue fishing now we had one hardcore fisherman that didn't even want to come up to eat lunch he stayed down and caught was just catching bluegills off the the pier and he was perfectly content and did not want to come back up for lunch which he didn't which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, everybody else came up and then wanted to go back down after they got done eating. Not her. She's like, "Can we set the buckets up and cast again?" I was like, "Uh, yeah, <laughs> totally." So then I took it the next step and I was like, "Let's teach you how to flip," you know. And so I got her, got her flipping like a champ, and she was just every time she'd hit it in the bucket, she's like, bucket, bucket, bucket. And I was so we kind of nicknamed her buckets by the end of the. <laughs> the end of the day and she did not want to leave like she, it was all you know time to wrap it up i think we went an extra half hour because it was she, dude the kids are just having a ball and to see yeah. her take to it like that and and get it like i mean and really get it like where we started her never picking up a baitcaster and ending that day with her legitimately being able to flip and hit her target i don't know at the That's end, amazing. at the end, was probably hitting her target three out of five times. You know, like she yeah. was, she was hitting it. And granted, yeah, I mean, they weren't forty yards away, but still, like that's that's a that's pretty impressive. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I I take a lot of families out, and you'll get a kid who doesn't really know how to cast, or you see him holding the spinning rod upside down, and you know. <laughs> so I'll give him a little gentle lesson. I said, "Would you like to teach me how to cast?" And he said, "Yeah." So I'll teach him how to cast, and. You know, by the end of the day, nine times out of ten, they're doing really well. Yeah. And um, I think the biggest thing is, like, you're docking the boat, and you hear the kid tell Dad, we need to get a boat. We need to go to the store. <laughs> get the oh, yeah. Okay, I, th I think I've done a good job of yeah, that. Yeah, I guarantee her parents were buying a, uh, a bait casting combo on the way home. I don't know that there's any chance they were going to be able to pass a sporting goods store without her uh, needing to stop. 
<laughs> she did great. It was it, it's awesome. And so you know that person that that's a fisherman for life. That's an angler for life. Like, yep, yep. She couldn't. All those kids, all of them, are just they couldn't be more into it. Like they were just super stoked. You know, and you send them packing with a bunch of lures and stuff like that that's been you know donated, and it's just it's it's awesome. It's great. Yeah, it's a ton yeah. of fun. But you know, kind of how we got on this this tangent, which was a great tangent, by the way, was yeah. you're you get more enjoyment out of other people catching fish, and that and that's kind of where I'm at too. You know, it's just yeah, it it, it really is. Just wanting to kind of share that, and honestly, like when I the cli- the clients I love the best are the ones that are newbies, like they want to learn. You know, and it's not that you know somebody's you know, a really good fisherman in a different state and they come up to Minnesota to, to catch the Minnesota fish and, you know, they know how to cast. They know all those are great. You get to meet somebody new. It's all fun. They get to check a species. You know, maybe they never cut a walleye or whatever the thing is and they get to check that off their list. That's all great, fine and dandy, but it's really rewarding when you get to actually teach somebody. Like, yeah, I, 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 get so, I get so many trips of people they've never saltwater fished. Um, I always, always ask them at the, at the dock, you know, kind of what's your level of fishing? How experienced are you? Um, I'm amazed at the number of people that book charters that really don't know how to cast. Um, and, uh, so we'll, we'll go through that. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, when they're, when they've had fun and they've really learned something and they tell you, thank you. And, um, they've caught some fish and you see the smiles on the kid's face and, you know, it's just, it's glorious. It really is. Then there's the other client that oversells himself on their fishing ability. Well, Hulk. you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I had a group last week and a guy says, do you have any bait casters? I said, I do. Um, he says, well, can you bring along a couple? I said, yeah. So I rigged two or three bait casters up and, um, then the rest cause primarily everything here is spinning gear. And, mm-hmm. Um, after about the third or fourth time, I don't know what he was expecting, if he was expecting just to drop over the side or something. He says, do you got any spinning rods? <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, we can hook you up. And I was like, I, I kind of over, he oversold me on, because I, I had about half of my, I usually take eight rods, and I had, I think I had three rigged up on spin, on the bait casters, and we didn't use those the rest of the day. So. Yeah, it's really important for anybody out there that's going to book a trip. Like, be honest with yourself. Like, don't feel intimidated. Like, I I think there's a little bit of, like, an ego thing there. Like, they don't want to, you know what I mean? Like, they're talking to the guide, and they they don't want to make it sound like they don't know what they're doing. You know, oh, I fish back home, you know, whatever, I know what I'm doing. Do you? I mean, not to the level of your guide. You know, I guarantee you that. So, have a little humility um, yep. and it's i think it's just it's good for both guide and client to really get an honest baseline of where they're at you know and it's great yeah. if they know how to tie their knots and take their fish off the hook and do all that's awesome that's great but if they don't then it's a pain in the butt yeah the other thing is doc i'll always ask them before we leave i said have you ever fished with circle hooks because this was my experience being a bass fisherman right and um <laughs> so I'll, I'll i'll pull a circle hook out and i'll show them how it's shaped and how it works by hooking the, you know, by spinning and hooking the into the side of the mouth, and and I said if you give it the bill dance, big jerk, <laughs> okay, you're just going to pull it right out of the mouth, right. and um, and so I'm going to yell at you until you get it, and I'll yell, you know, don't be a jerk or yank or crank, don't yank, and you know, uh. um, 
and once they lose a few fish, the, but it, you know, if when you've done that your whole life, yeah. it's a hard half to break. It really is. That muscle memory kind of, you know, you, you you feel that bite, and your your instinct is to just give them hell, you know. And it's yeah, you can't do that with circle so, hooks. You know, and the and the other thing, especially when you're using cut bait for like red fishing, um, you know, a lot of times I'll say, listen, look, we're going to throw out four or five poles, but with cut bait, here's your best deal. Put it in the rod holder. This fish is going to pick it up. He's going to hook himself. And when you pick it up, don't, that's just real, just real. Um, and so I said, you know, we let, we let Rodriguez do the, do the fishing for. So, you know, and that's, a, you, you make them a lot of times if they can't cast in the mangroves very well, you might get them, you know, you get them right into that little perfect spot, yeah, right where you want them. And they always want to reel. And it's like, oh, you just pulled it three feet from where I wanted yeah, what you to What are you doing? Short. Leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to catch fish? <laughs> Like, do what you're told. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I had a kid doing that the other day. I, you know, I told him time after time. I said, just let it sit, let it sit, and he wouldn't do it. So I finally I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. So I tied on a little paddle tail, and I said, here you go. Throw it out and reel it in. Throw it out and reel it in. Mm-hmm. Because if, he, if he's got a little ADHD or he just can't stand just sitting there, here, do this. We'll, right. leave, these other pole, we'll leave these other poles over here, and you can do this. Did he end up catching any fish on it? Sure he did. Oh, that's awesome. Sure he did. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. I was say, do you do more um, cut bait or live bait or artificial or a little bit of both? You know what? I, I use all. It's an interesting question because I catch myself when I'm out, like you said, when I'm out by myself, I'm pretty much artificial. And that's probably due to my two things, my bass background and a little ADHD myself. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I really like soft plastics and, and some suspending baits. Um, and so when I get clients, we'll start off, I use live shrimp, live bait and cut bait, and I'll start off and I'll take them somewhere. I won't go to the mangroves right away. I'll just maybe start in the grass flats for a half an hour. I want to see how they can cast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that gives me an, an assessment of, okay, now we can go in if we need to go into some tighter quarters. Um, and, uh, you know, I can get them, to, get them to pitch in and and get them up into the mangroves. And I tell them, don't don't feel bad if you, if you get hung up if you throw them into the mangrove trees because if you don't, you're not getting close enough, and that's, that's right. just part of the deal. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but you, as a guide, I try to do that assessment and a little bit more of an open water first, um, and then and it, you have to be very gentle in your suggestions. You know, because I'll cause, <laughs> yeah. like, you know. I'll say, hey, listen, this is a really tight area. You, you know, you'll see a mangrove with like a little cut in it or a little bay. And I said, that's where we want to be. And I said, let me throw the first one in there. You know, a lot of times I'll bait up the hook and I said, and I'll throw the first ones in. They just get them in the right spot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then if they can, they, that's great. And then if they can't and they realize it, they say, hey, can you throw it out again for me? So to answer your question, yes, all the above, I guess. But uh, primarily with inexperienced clients, I use live bait, cut bait, and shrimp. Yeah, and I'm I'm right there with you. Like even if I get a guide, I'm always like, I'll I'll do artificials. Like I went down to um Oh crap, I can't think of this town now. Um It's in Texas <laughs> on the coast. Uh oh my god. I've some reason I have Gatlinburg stuck in my head and obviously that's not it and I can't um Galveston. There it is. I was okay. it was close. Yeah. It was a G. And uh it was kinda in the winter, so there wasn't anything in really but flounder and you know they had they had some you know you could throw you know a pal tail or a curly tail 
and, or they, you know, were throwing out shrimp. And uh, it was just the captain and his first mate and myself. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to try artificial, you know. Let's see if I can't get it done with this, you know. It's like, I've caught flounder before. I've caught, you know, so, like, there wasn't anything, like, uh, I need to check it off the list. Like, no, I want to catch it like this. And so, you know, they're like, all right. And so it took me a while, but I did catch a few on artificials, and they were, and they were fishing to to my I told them to. <laughs> I'm like, you have to consider. I know I'm a client, but think of it as just three buddies out fishing right now. So right, you guys, yeah, might, you know, you guys you, might as well fish. And they were using live you know, bait, you, and they were catching three to my one. But I was just as happy. Like it wasn't a numbers thing for me. I'm like, I'm getting them on artificials. This is great. And I caught the biggest you one. Know, so there's that. When I get a group of experienced anglers, it's such an easy day because. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I just put my tackle box up front. They retie their own lines, tie their own hooks, you know, unhook their own fish. And it's like, if I've got room, I'll fish. A lot of times I'll go and say, hey, I want, I've had people say, hey, I want you to fish too. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then you get the other ones where you're, you know, the work where they won't touch a shrimp. They won't oh, touch yeah. the cup. Yep. They won't touch the fish. I had, you know, kids love playing in a live well when they first get in a boat. And I've got a live well in the back by the seats and, you know, I might have six dozen, ten dozen shrimp in there, and kids love playing with them. They want to look at them. And I had one kid look down in there, and he looks up at me. He says, Mr., are these popcorn shrimp? <laughs> <laughs> they can be. <laughs> if we don't catch anything, that's what you're taking home today. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that's great. That's fun. I, I like that That whole kind of scenario is, is it's fun, you know, like gauging your clients and, and seeing where they're at. And, and I'm that same way. Like I like and me and my brother, like when we go somewhere new, we'll hire a guide and, and we'll just be straight up honest with them. Like we are hiring you for your boat equipment and area knowledge. Teach us what to do. Then after that, you get to relax. And yep. <laughs> your tip is directly tied to the amount of freedom you give me. Cause I've been on, yep. I've been on trips where they, no matter how much you demonstrate that you can cast, no matter how much you demonstrate your knowledge, they won't let you do anything. Yeah, I, I, I actually had a bad experience like that. Actually, one of the first guys I had hired, um, before we moved to Florida, we did a cruise out of Fort Lauderdale, and on the way home, we, we planned a trip to Okeechobee with uh, my wife and I. And that was like a dream trip, right, to go to Lake Okeechobee and mm-hmm. catch a big bat. And I hired off of one of the booking sites and this guy pulls in and, you know, he does, he's got holes in his instrument panel where all the gauges used to be and mm-hmm. the engine's smoking and that's, that's <laughs> oh, all fine. Yeah, this but, isn't starting well. But throughout the day, he was, you know, my wife's an okay, she can cast and she, she'll handle all of her own bait and everything. But he was like, oh no, you're doing that wrong. And he'd take the pole away from her, Ooh. you know, and yeah, and you're doing that wrong. Don't do this. Do what I told you. And I was like, geez. And that's the thing, I, as for a guide, I've had trips where we've caught very little, and I've got a really good tip because, A, they learned a lot, or, B, they said, you know what, you worked really hard trying to do us all, and sometimes fish don't bite, you yep. know? Yep. Um, and, then, and, um, and then you have the trips where, you know, you caught a lot of fish, and, and, but you get, the, you get a group that doesn't handle anything, and you got four people on board, and you're baiting, you know. Oh, you're, you're just you're, running. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're retying hooks and baiting shrimp and, yeah. and, it's, and it's pulling fish off and 
by the end of that day, you go, I earned my money today. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Uh, yeah, I had a, there was a, out of Fort Lauderdale, we took this trip and we didn't really catch much, but I ended up catching a, a pretty good sized Cuda and that first mate would not let me hold it for a picture. Like absolutely would oh. not let me hold it. He held it and I kind of had to lean in. I was so irritated. Right. I'm like, bro, you ever caught a muskie? Yeah, you don't put your hand next to their mouth either. It's like it's the same. It's like, oh, and I get it. I mean, I, I do get it. Like, they don't want an insurance claim or you know a trip to the ER or anything. I understand, but by that time, you should have known that I, I knew right. what I was doing. Like, yeah, I I will tell people, especially if I know they haven't saltwater fish, and this is a big difference between freshwater fishing. There's three or four fish I don't want you to touch. Right. Okay. So if you get a catfish, you let me handle it, okay? If you get a there's these little skipjacks or leather jacks, but you touch their you touch their uh, tail fin, you're you're going to be in pain for the next five or six hours. So if I see a fish come up and I say don't touch it, let me get it, let me get it, okay? Yeah, there's you know yeah there's some fish. of these things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't some of these things that. are yeah. A rockfish or something like that, what, or a stargazer. Yeah, you don't want to be messing with any of those things. It'd be a. It's gonna be. Yeah, a- actually, I told you I hired first uh, four guides when I first come out. One was a very well-known guide in the area, had a tower boat. He taught me boat positioning and tides and all that, and, and taught me how to throw a net. And at the end of the day, we had a live well full of, of sardines for bait, and he had a chum bat. I've never done that before, so he was showing me how he was using his chum bat. And he's coming out there, and fish are popping up the bait. And he says, uh, tie one on and or hook one on and throw it out there. I said, all right. Well, I reeled in a, a, a saltwater catfish. And he goes. Sail cat? He was the one. Yeah. No, well, these are hard heads, but they're oh, like okay. a sail cat. All right. But the but the dorsal and the pectoral fins are toxic. When they stick you, and I've been stuck a number of times, it hurts. Yeah. And it's a toxin goes in, and it's about four hours of pain. Oof. And, um. So, so um, Jeff told me, he said, he showed me the little technique where you take the line horizontally and you take the D hooker and you flip it off. He said, don't bring them into the boat because they poop all over the boat um, and don't handle them because their, their spines are, are, uh, are poisonous. So he takes this thing and he flips it and it's a nice little move. But when he did this one, this cat flipped up in the air like, like a gymnast. No. And one of the po- one of the poisonous spines got him right in that vein that runs oh. right below your right below your thumb, and he's squirting blood. And we were right by the dock. It was at the end of the day, and he's squirting blood with every heartbeat. And he looks at me and he says, "Now, when that happens, <laughs> stop by the stop by the ER and go get your antibiotic shot." So, <laughs> Oof, duh. yikes! Yeah, that and, uh, that sounds I, painful. Yeah. I, I got an infection in salt water. I got him. I ended up with MRSA. Oh, no. Um, and, and I think it was from a pinfish. Um, with, I just had a little bitty hole in one of my fingers. It was actually in my thumb. And, um, a few days later it was it, it swollen up and it was infected. And I went to the ER and they kind of drained it and so forth. Gave me up, gave me an antibiotic shot and put me on some stronger, stronger antibiotics. He says, come back tomorrow. I want to check it again. He took a culture. I came back tomorrow. He goes, I want you to go to the ER right now. So I go to the ER um, I was in the hospital for five days. Whoa! I was, I was on a pick line with vancomycin for six weeks. Um, 
And that was the result. People don't realize, and, and I know being a Midwesterner, you can identify with this. As kids, we always thought salt water was healing. You know, that would clean up acne and it would dry you out and all that. Salt water has a tremendous amount of bacteria in it. And, um, you know, here we deal with uh, St. Petersburg system is known when, when we had heavy rains, the wastewater flushes out. I'm sure you saw the news of a couple of years ago where we had this huge, huge toxic release full of nitrogen yeah, and phosphorus yeah. that, fed, that fed the red tide. Um, and so... Um, it's pretty easy to get an infection from if you've got a cut from salt water. As a result of that, I keep because um, I, I, I went to a wound treatment center, wound treatment center after I got out of the hospital, and I and and they give they have a solution called Dakin's solution, which is basically basically bleach. So I keep and then I talked to a couple other captains. I talked to some commercial fishermen. I said, "You guys ever run into this?" And they learned. They said, "Yeah, all the time." So I keep a 32-ounce bottle of bleach, a spray bottle. of uh, It's about 10, 10% bleach, so three ounces of bleach and the rest of it water. Put a little baking soda in it, and I just keep that. And I tell anybody, you get any kind of little cut from a fish or from a hook, just let me spray it down real quick hmm. um, just to kill that bacteria because it can get pretty nasty. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that red tide. How does that – when was the really last – was it last year um, they had a big break outbreak of it? I, I think it was, I can't remember if it was last year or two years ago. We had a, we had a waste trend. So there's a lot of, in, in Tampa Bay, on the South Tampa Bay, there's a lot of what they call stacks, which are like holding ponds. They're not ponds, but they're lined um, pond where they've washed uh, gypsum or magnesium or some mineral, and they've washed it to clean it, and then they've got these holding tanks that are supposed to last forever. One of them moved, the lining tore, and then the levee broke, and they had to pump this water out, uh, or the levee was going to break and flood some homes. So they pumped over 500 million gallons of nutrient-rich uh, water into Tampa Bay. And, and, you know, red tide occurs naturally. It's a naturally occurring bacteria. It just happens. But we supercharged it. Right. You know, and I'm, I'm sure you saw the videos of just yep. floating, floating fish. And then you get to the point you're killing manatees and dolphins and stuff. And it, it did have an effect on the grass. Quite honestly, I'm pretty shocked how well Mother Nature rebounded from that um, and how well Tampa Bay has recovered that. There's still some effects because it killed off some of the grass. And then you just take that whole chain, the food chain of grass to mussels, to small bait, to bigger sure. bait. To fish, you know, right. um, it was pretty. It was pretty devastating. Um, and it you know, was... I know a lot. I don't. I don't fish Tampa Bay a lot, but I do some. The guides, a lot of the guides, you go to the Skyway Bridge because it holds tremendous amount of bait. And so you go out there, throw your net once or twice, and you loaded your bait well. And then they would run back to get their clients. And if they forgot, they learned this by experience. If they forgot to turn off their live well. And they were running through that water. They go back, pick their clients. They got a live well full of that thing. Oh wow! They just suck up that red tide water with no oxygen in it. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was a bad bad deal. Hmm. I, I'll tell you, I love throwing the cast net. <laughs> like it's my brother thinks I'm so dumb, but honestly, every time I go down there and visit him, like I get I'm just jazzed to go throw that that net. Now I don't throw like the twenty footer. You know, we throw smaller ones. We got a lot of oysters and stuff down there, but. I've always threatened, like, I'm going to order one of them 20-footers, and I'm just going to practice in my yard. 
And then yeah. the few times I go down there and, you know, then I can, then I will be proficient and I can throw it. <laughs> I don't know what it is about it, but I just love it. It's just, it's, it's cool. It's like, I don't well, good know. For, good, for, good for you. It's not <laughs> something I enjoy doing. <laughs> Nobody does. Like, I think I'm the only one. Like, any guide is, they're always like down there, they're just irritated. Like, they have to do this. It's part of, you know, we got to go get bait. But they're just like, they'd rather just take off and go fishing. And I'm like, dude, this part's awesome. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I listened to your podcast with Jacinda, and um, we had a couple of fishing outings. And they, and man, we were bound and determined to get Jacinda to throw a cast nap. And she told you on your podcast, it ain't happening. It's not happening. <laughs> uh, I just, I don't know what it is about it. It's just, it's, you know, it's kind of, I mean, it's a skill, right? It's, it's, there's a, there's, there's an art to it. And, you know, when someone yeah. throws, you get the perfect throw and that thing just pancakes out and then you hit your target and you get a bunch of bait. It's like, it's super rewarding. You know, when we were down in Isla Mirada, everybody went out on a big charter. They went deep sea fishing which was a terrible day for it because the there was like huge it was windy there was huge rollers out there my daughter ended up getting seasick like they didn't catch shit like so i had the i had our boat to myself well here i am i'm like chasing these pelicans you know they're diving i gotta go get pilchards and you can't see them dimpling the surface because there's just it's too turbid there's too many waves and i'm like well i think they're here you know this is right where the pelicans were just diving and i just i threw that net finally got to open up and it was one of our bigger 12 footer or something i don't remember size and that thing pancaked out and boy i had a hell of a time getting that net back in the boat like i yeah and i was so jazzed dude i was like yes like this is awesome yeah did it another another, kind kind of another sport we have you know mullet down here we have a lot of schools of mullet mullet are are grass feeders they're vegetarians um, and uh, a lot of guys eat them. Um, they smoke really? them. Uh, yeah. And in addition to, you know, they make great bait, but, um, so you'll see little flat boats all around up, up in the very shallow waters and guys cast netting for mullet. And, um, you'll see guys wade, you know, wade, I guess, wade cast netting, but the guys wading and throwing a net, which is really a talent. If you're knee high in water and you can still throw a net, yeah, no doubt. you know, that that's something else. But yeah, then you see these guys they'll float around and and um, you'll have one guy driving a boat and one guy up on the bow and um, they'll cast net for mullet. Yeah, that's, so that's, that's fun. I may know why those mullet thing. jump out of the water like they do. I people ask me that all the time. You know, when you get people and they go, "Oh, there's fish over there," and I said, "Well, that's a good sign, but that's not the fish we're catching." Right, okay? that's just a mullet. Um, they're like, "Why are they jumping?" Because uh, that's just what they do. I, I don't. Know. I, I, I tell people I think they're kind of like a cat. You know how a cat will just wake up and run into the next room. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I think they're I think they're paranoid schizophrenics. I've heard they do it to jump parasites. You know I I think they're spying on us. There's a whole a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah, I've heard I've heard different theories, but none of them ever really hold up. But it's like you said, I think they do it because they can. Like they just yeah shoot straight out of the water for no reason. Like it doesn't seem to yeah. be a predator evasion i don't see any predators around or anything like that it's just they just because yeah that's what but, they do you know the, we do we do look for that because it's a good sign and, and there's a couple of things one if when you're fishing shallow water and i'm talking maybe two feet um the, the water's right meaning the oxygen level's right the temperature's right you know when i go back into a bay or something and i see stingrays or horseshoe crabs or mullet 
I see life in the water, I'm in a good area. I right. can go in another area, it'll be completely dead. Um, and so, and then the other thing is that the, the redfish like hanging around the mullet schools because when they do that, they stir that up. And when they stir up, they stir up little crabs and little shrimp sure. and all that. So Makes sense. If you see if you see good schools of mullet and good schools of mullet jumping, we're going to throw bait in there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, this was this was awesome conversation, Tom. This was like great. Now I really want to go saltwater fishing again. Thanks for that. And and scalloping. <laughs> and scalloping, dude. That would be so much fun. Uh, I literally would get a huge kick out of that. Now that's when we stayed down there. Here I'm trying to wrap it up and tell another story, but whatever. Uh, we we're down there, like I was so looking forward to, like, yeah, we're gonna go out, we're gonna catch our food, and we're gonna eat fresh fish every night. Well, you know what doesn't happen? You fish till you can't see, and you are beat dead tired. And the last thing I want oh, to yeah. do is either clean fish or cook it. So we're going out to eat. <laughs> right, right. And, I, and as you well know, that's the side of guiding people don't know. It's like when I'm done with you, I still have to wash the boat. I got to re-rig for tomorrow. I got to get bait. Yep. You know, and, and, and the clients shouldn't see that, but a lot of people say, wow, you make like a hundred bucks an hour. And I said, well, it's more like 20. Yeah, not you know? really. Yeah. <laughs> not, not really. Have you filled up a boat lately? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. No kidding, right? <laughs> God forbid it's on dock. I mean, hell dock ass. The, the price at the pump is dock ass right now, except dock ass is just that much worse. But yeah, like that is, you know, I always joke up here. Actually, it's not really joking. It's serious. Like, Getting people to pay uh, a decent rate in Minnesota is, like, it's so hard. Everybody is so cheap up here. One, there's guides around every tree, um, but it's it just, they're cheap. They just don't want, they, they don't want, they think they, I don't know what they think, but they don't want to pay for anything, the, the sportsmen right. up here. You know, they, you, God forbid you threaten to raise the license by $5, they lose their mind. You know, even though they just got done dropping $200 on soft plastics in the tackle shop, but $5 to fish all year round, no, can't do that. And it's like, oh, my God. Well, and, and unfortunately, you know, I think that the issue with, you know, everybody's had to raise their prices because of the gas. And, um, you know, and, we, we, and I've seen that trickle. That shrimp has gone up. I stop at a bait store every time, every day, and I pick up six to ten dozen of shrimp, and it's gone up, and the yeah. frozen bait's gone up, and um you know, and you have to raise your rates to cover those expenses. And, you know, and meanwhile, your clients are also pressured because of the high expenses. So it right. definitely has yeah. an impact. You know, a lot of the pumps around here, um, they stop at $100. And so a lot of times I have to do two transactions just to fill the boat. <laughs> That's so you know? irritating. <laughs> yeah, if you're paying with a card, they won't. Yeah. Yeah. Depending. Yeah. That's really irritating. Well, my tr my trick up here now is I'm like, you know, I'd usually run my boat pretty, well, not dry, but I'd get her down there before I add fuel to it. Now it's like, mm -mm. the moment that, like, I get anywhere near half, I'm filling up just because I don't want the, <laughs> I don't want to have sticker shock. When <laughs> right. It's just, yeah. It doesn't seem yeah, as I, bad I, if I can keep it yeah, under 100. I, tra I, I trailer my boat, so I do everything I can not to buy it at the marina. Yeah, you know, that's when smart, then, too. That'll we have a, save you a lot. Yeah, we have a number of stations here that have non-ethanol, so, um, you know, I, I try to do that. But then the other thing we deal with is salt water, and, that, that you know, that's an extra yeah, you gotta, half an hour. You you know, rinse you've got to rinse the reels and get all the salt off the boat and all the salt off, you know, it's a it's a chore. Yeah, it yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. And the other thing they don't realize, uh, I feel like this, this turned into like a guide apology, you know, 
apology section, but it's not. It's like just to help people understand that all that extra work too, but it's your knowledge, your years of knowledge. It's like, it's no different than uh, a contractor, right? You're not, Absolutely. when he charges you to build a house, it's not, ju- you're not just paying for the hours he's, it's taking him to build your house. You're paying him for the 20 years it took him to learn this trade in order to build your house. Like Absolutely. It, so Absolutely. your knowledge is worth, your your time not with clients has value to it. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. And you will know when you get a good guide versus a bad guide. And you're going yes, you you're gonna to see the difference. And when you find out that yep. you paid the same, you're going to be pissed. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Because I'm worth more than that guy because I'm better than that guy. You're, my boat's going to be, you know, in better shape. It's not just going to be a 14-foot John boat with, you know, an outboard that took him 45 poles and a slurry of four-letter words to get started. You know, it's like it's it's a different deal, you know. And it I is. think a lot of people just don't really take that into account. But well, and you know the other thing, and and our our FWC, which is the Florida Wildlife Commission, they've done a pretty good job of busting what we call illegal charters. Sure. You know, people that are taking, you know, the law is if I'm charging you to go on my boat, and I don't care if it's a pleasure cruise, scalloping, fishing, if I'm charging money to take you out, I have to be a captain. I have right. to, you know, I have to have my insurance. I have to have my certification. I have to have first aid. All the things that go into that. And a lot of times, you know, with Facebook and everything, you see guys advertising, hey, I'm going out and I'll take uh, four guys at, uh, you know, uh, 50 bucks a piece or 100 bucks a piece, and they're not licensed captains. Right. You do that at your own risk. Yeah, and see, up in Minnesota here, you don't have to have a captain's license. You do on a certain body. So any body water that's governed by the Coast Guard, you do. So border waters, obviously. Great Lakes, but then the main rivers, Mississippi, Minnesota, St. Croix River, you have to have it on that, and then they throw in Mille Lacs. I don't, I don't yeah. I'm not quite sure why, because it's not, you can't get there from, <laughs> from, from any border or any other main river. I'm not quite sure why they throw that one in there, but they do. Other than that, the rest of the 10,000 lakes in the state, any any schmuck can be a, can be a guide. Wow. So, yeah. It comes up every now and again and never passes for whatever reason. And it's shocking because Minnesota on just about every other thing is so over-regulated. It kind of blows my mind that that one arena still is the Wild West. But You know, I mean, you know, you learn after doing this. When I got people, the minute they step foot on my boat, I'm responsible for their safety. And right. you know in, in Florida – and in saltwater, a lot of things can happen real quick. Real quick, you know. Yeah. And um, you know, I, you know, I'll see a thunderstorm that may be twenty miles away, but I said we got to go. Right. You know, thunder. You know, light, rain is one thing. There's not. There's a reason the Tampa Bay Lightning. By the way, we we <laughs> we uh, drop we drop the puck here in thirty minutes. So just so you know. Ooh. Um, Ooh. But uh, uh, there was a reason ta- that. The hockey team's called the Lightning, and I didn't know that before I lived here. But the it it is the Lightning capital of the U.S., and it's like the third highest in the nation, I think. Um, the weather and, down and, there you know, is is so much different than Minnesota. Like we, you know, we look to the west, and we see dark clouds. We're like, oh shit, we're getting a storm, or we're getting rain. You know, maybe northwest, straight west, southwest, but anything westerly is a potential for problems. We see it off to the east. 
eh, whatever, that's already passed. Down there, right. it can come from any direction, but a lot of times it just builds straight up over top of you, doesn't move. And it does. So you can just, you, you're like, oh, well, we'll just go over here and fish over there. The storm's there, and it's not moving. Yeah. It's kind of, it's yeah. it's nuts how they just kind of pulse. Like, they just build up, yeah. rain out, build up, rain out. Yeah, and that's one of the captains that I hired when I first came out. We saw a storm, and he goes, now, see that? And it may be 20, like I said, it may be 20 miles away. It's got lightning in it. You can be in clear blue sky and get struck by lightning. So right. get out of here. Yep. You know? Time to go. You see your line lift up off the water? That's not good. Yeah. <laughs> Time to go. Well, you better get ready. Crack your uh, cold ones. Get ready to for that puck drop. I don't want to. I don't want to. Yeah, crack we got to even up. The, we got to even up that series. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I still don't understand how Florida has a hockey team, but whatever. <laughs> it's it's hundred degrees, and we're still talking about hockey. I don't know why they don't. I know. Uh, right? <laughs> that 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 season's just way too long. As a Minnesotan, I can't even get into it. That's like, dude, it's summertime. I can't think about hockey right now. It's, that's ridiculous. But well, I, you know, as you know, it, it's kind of been a it's been a good couple of years to be a sports fan in Tampa Bay. So. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. And it's and, been... and I'm sure you saw you saw our river parades that we've had when they won the Super Bowl and mm-hmm. the Viking. Did you see those? Those videos, we're hoping for number three here. So. Well, I'm a Vikings fan, so I don't really know what a Super Bowl parade looks like. <laughs> or any sports oh, well, parade, we- for that matter. Well, we got the Twins. The Twins win every 20 years or so. And then uh, the the Minnesota Lynx, they're like a basketball dynasty. So that, we got that going for us. If there you go. He's in the WNBA, which I'm not. So <laughs> whatever. It is what it is. But, Tom, I appreciate you taking the time to, to call in and have this conversation is great never get down in that area i'll have to give you a shout all right brother i look forward to it thank you so much sounds good thank you okay bye-bye